Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 29 of Witness Prophecies, and I'm Steve, and music calms the beast. Oh, it certainly does, Steve, and it's good that you say that because I'm Barb and I'm thinking of taking up a new hobby, perhaps learning to play the glass harmonicas. Nice. Wouldn't that be fun? Today, we're going to be discussing the 11th Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 3 entitled Kindred Spirits, and this was written by Heather V. Regnier, and it was directed by Olatunde Osunsanmi, and they've both been involved on a couple of Sleepy Hollisodes previously. I know Heather has written a number of them, including the Mill Sisters from earlier this season. And Ola Tunde directed The Red Lady from Caribbee. And I really like his work. What did you think about the episode, Steve? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yes. It was very angsty, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> I thought we had a lot of good action, a lot of good dialogue. And it was nice to see the team working together again, wasn't it? Yes, it was nice to have everybody back where they belong. Yes, more or less, right? Yeah, more yes, or less. More <laughs> or less. All right, how about a recap, Barb? Certainly, Steve. A young couple is on their first date, parked in an out-of-the-way lover's lane. As the man tries to force himself upon the young woman, someone smashes the car window and drags him out, ultimately killing them both. It is the Kindred. Abby can't sleep and Crane tries to talk to her about her ordeal in the catacombs, but she avoids the subject and heads out for a run. She sees Abby and Jenny carved into a tree and suffers a flashback to her time in the caves. It is interrupted by a call from Danny, who asks her for help on the third double homicide in a week. She realizes that the killer, a tall man using an axe and a spear, must be the Kindred. She tells Danny that she isn't ready to come back to the FBI and tells Sophie to meet her at the archives. Crane runs into Zoe Corinth while buying replacement houseplants for Abby. She is clearly hurt that he hasn't contacted her for five weeks. The Hidden One has summoned the Kindred and is watching him in the koi pond. Pandora is upset that she is not at full power and misses her box, which was her sole companion for 4,000 years. We learn that Pandora was a mortal, in chains, when the Hidden One first saw her. He tells her that her box, her bounty, is of no consequence, and her face falls. At the archives, Abby and Crane explain the background of the kindred to Sophie. Sophie stakes out sites where the kindred may attack again. Crane recalls his first meeting with Betsy Ross while they were both waiting for Benjamin Franklin, who tricked them into working together on a mission. Abby and Crane find information in Franklin's old writings that suggest that the kindred can be soothed with music played on a glass harmonica and send Jenny and Joe to procure the instrument. Abby and Crane find the kindred's lair and realize that he is experiencing emotion. He's becoming human. The kindred needs love and connections. Abby and Crane know that they need to end this humanely because they created the kindred. The team sets up the glass harmonica in the lair, and Crane returns to the archives to get the sheet music. Zoe appears, and Crane can't return to the lair. 
The kindred emerges. Joe improvises with music, but the kindred rushes up to the archives and kidnaps Zoe. Abby realizes that the kindred wants a wife and that he probably has gone to the carriage house. Joe realizes that the insignia on the front of Franklin's book matches one he and Jenny saw when they stole the glass harmonica, and Crane recalls his first mission with Betsy Ross. They realize that Franklin built a female for the kindred, find it, return it to Sleepy Hollow, and they revive it with an incantation. Meanwhile, Sophie has been captured by the kindred while she tries to save Zoe, and Jenny and Joe rescue both of them. All parties converge outside the carriage house, and it's true love. The kindred sees the kindress, they genuflect toward each other, and it's love at first sight. The killing is over. Zoe meets with the FBI, but doesn't remember much since she continually fainted through most of the experience. Crane returns Zoe's book, apologizes, and tells her he isn't ready for a commitment, but Zoe tells him she thinks he is ready for commitment, just not with her. He bows, takes her hand, and they say goodbye. Danny goes to see Abby, tells her he loves her, that he cares for her, he always will, and he wishes her the best. She tells him she's ready to go back to work. We see Pandora and the Hidden One. She again asks for her powers to be restored, but the Hidden One realizes that the Kindred is leaving Sleepy Hollow, and he destroys the Kindred and his new love. The Hidden One says that he will not allow his powers to be diluted by unnecessary partnerships and trivial human urges. Pandora looks less than pleased. In the last scene, Abby and Crane are playing chess. She cuts her finger and Crane leaves to fetch a Band-Aid. Abby absentmindedly draws a symbol in the blood, realizes what she has done, hears whispers, and flashes back to the catacombs. Clearly troubled, she quickly smudges it before Crane returns and can see what she has done. What does this mean? That is the $1,000 question. Oh, you bet, Steve. It it really is. And I can't wait to discuss this episode, but I'm going to guess you've got a little bit of news to give us first, don't you? Yes, we do. Last week's episode, Incident in Stone Manor, the preliminary numbers were 3.17 million viewers with a 0.7 rating in adults 18 to 49. Well, the final numbers are out, and it was actually a little drop in viewers going to 3.16, but it bumped up in the adults 18 to 49 going to 0.8. I like that. Yes, we want to keep the 18 to 49 numbers up as high as possible. Now, with Kindred Spirits, the preliminary numbers are 3.15 million viewers with a 0.8 rating. 3.15, 3.16, 3.17. We're consistent. Yes, and that was the whole goal, was to stay consistent with our numbers. And it looks like we are, and I... Once again, don't see that there is going to be any reason for them not to renew Sleepy Hollow for a fourth season. Because Well, they can always come up with a reason, but we don't want them to. Right. The numbers are still strong enough to allow them to renew it and know that they've got a very strong base of an audience. Because we haven't seen any live plus seven since we've returned from the hiatus, but I still expect them to be over 5 million and that should be should be enough to get a renewal but that's just me. <laughs> and it's and it's really doing well for a Friday night I think. It's just it's hanging right in there. So yes, really it is. really great support. Great to have people supporting this show. So Yes, and everything was strong on social media as well from what I saw today the K 
Kindred trended and as well as Sleepy Hollow. So well done to the Twitter sphere. Oh, yes, I didn't. Uh, that is something I did see last night because since I'm in my odd time zone and I have to wait to watch, <laughs> I got on to social media after the show started and then went back to the Twitter feed to take a look at, at what had been posted during that time when I couldn't be on Twitter. And I did see that it was trending during the East Coast viewing. So I thought that was great. I don't know what happened on the West Coast viewing because that's after I watch. So Yes. Okay, so Steve, what kind of a rating did you have for this episode? Well, I gave it a nine forgotten books. Oh. Well, I gave it nine first dates gone horribly wrong. <laughs> that was an understatement. <laughs> Ooh, makes you really not want to go out on any first dates for those of <clears throat> individuals who are in that situation. Mm-mm. No, the boyfriend was a uh, a bum and. I think if she would have stayed in the car, she probably would have lived. Kindred probably wouldn't have taken her out, but because she got out of the car and Kindred kind of felt like he had to do what he had to do then. Yeah, it was a dumb move. But if that was the third double homicide in a right. week, she was a goner anyway. Yeah, so that's probably true. Well, since we already seem to want to hop right into the discussion <laughs> on this great episode, Steve, why don't you uh, start with Team Second Tribulation. All right. Really interesting to see how the dynamic between Pandora and the Hidden One has changed with just what has occurred since the fall finale. Before the fall finale, they were tight. Now that the Hidden One has gotten his power, or at least A good more than what it. he had, you see him basically reminding Pandora that she was basically a slave when he first met her and he rescued her and gave her the power. So it's, I can't really say that he has any real true feelings for her. I really don't. No, he's just a jerk. And it's interesting because since we did learn that she was a quote unquote, what, mere mortal, although you are, yes. no, or though he said, you're no mere mortal. Well, clearly he's treating her like one. Yes. But if you stop and think about old Greek and Roman mythology, many times the gods would see a human on earth that they really liked and they would swoop down and take that human for their own. And mm -hmm. then there are always some kind of consequences That's for that. The, the human, the poor girl would get tossed back to earth or she'd become a star or something would happen. I mean, the romance never lasts because the gods are all about themselves, right? Absolutely. So it would seem that this is following a classical Greek or Roman mythology type of storyline, where he apparently he saw her, she was a slave, he wanted her, desired her, she was a beautiful woman, he took her, he gave her some power, thinks maybe he shouldn't have done it, has taken it back, and her time is limited with him anyway, I'm sure in his mind. I believe that is correct. I don't see them staying together through all of this. <laughs> I really don't. Oh, no. And so I'm going to just say it again, what I said last week. He's a major jerk. <laughs> but Peter Menz is playing it so well. Oh. You do have to give him credit. Oh, he is. He's a wonderful actor. He's so convincing that it's like you're a jerk, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to run into him on a street. He's big. He's 
certainly strong, well-built, but yeah, his character is a jerk, but he is playing it extremely well. Yes. And it's very obvious from the way Pandora is reacting to things is she is completely depressed about not having her power anymore, almost begging him at one point for it back. I think that she almost feels naked without it in a way. Here she said that for 4,000 years, I mean, she had her box and her power, and that's all she had. Yes. Now, he wasn't around anywhere, we don't believe, since he said he was gone for millennia. She was probably a pretty lonely lady. But very content with having that power. Uh-huh. Apparently. And having him and no power, maybe not the same. Yeah, the wheels are turning in her, her head about, hmm, hmm, what do I have here? Yes, you can tell that she is definitely questioning the relationship, shall we say. Although they've had a very long marriage, 4,000 years. <laughs> That's a long time to just throw aside. Yes, but she maybe they course. need couple counseling. Mm, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> but he, but he, speaking of uh, needing counseling, the kindred also needs some counseling. <laughs> well, I don't know. They found themselves. Well, that's true. At the in the end, now at the beginning, he was an angry, angsty teenager. It appeared to me, just kind of striking out at anybody who had found a relationship when he had not. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Who does that sound like? Oh, yeah. he had one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Though it was interesting to discover that he was actually becoming more human. And we actually hear him talk, and you go, what? Huh? Yeah, and he wrote, remember? Because it, it did look like kindergarten-type scribbles on that piece of paper when you're trying yes. to form letters and for the first time. It was like, wow. Yeah, it was really a bit disappointing that he finally gets what's going to make him happy with the Kendris, and as they're leaving Sleepy Hollow to start their life, the Hidden One just crushes them both he blasted them to smithereens yes <laughs> and then I, w I went oh. oh and then i remembered that he had killed three couples and then i'm like wait a minute <laughs> yeah maybe i shouldn't feel too bad about this yeah i want to say that some of what the kindred was going through was probably attributable to abraham before he died with all the pent-up anger and rage that he had. Play had his head. Yes. I just kind of thought that that was probably a bit of it as well, even though we did find out, oh, yeah, well, he's needing affection. <laughs> Companionship. Ship, yes. That was really, it was interesting, but but was, I think, even more interesting was that Benjamin Franklin had anticipated this. And yes. I guess had, and had experimented on enough kindred-type creations to recognize this so lo and behold he had one stashed away perfect for a special occasion he was a good planner i think he anticipated something that would happen more than 250 years into the future wow what a guy yes you cannot question his intelligence mm. <laughs> you can question some of his lifestyle choices but <laughs> not his intelligence ah <laughs> <laughs> uh. All well, right, what about Team Witness? Yep, well, let's talk about Jenny and Joe. 
So we had a bit less Jenny and Joe this week, which was okay because we had our full Abby and Crane dynamic back, which I really liked. And we had so much of Jenny and Joe previously. So I was okay with that. But what I liked is here we had Jenny and Joe, they were on an artifact hunt. And they had to go and find this glass harmonica, which they did. But of course, Joe, our resident psychologist, (laughs) noticed that Jenny is using her father's lighter rather than a flashlight while they're hunkering through the little museum there, which was a very good question for him to ask. It's like, why are you using your your father's lighter? What, 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 what? She had no good answer for that. So Jenny still has some daddy issues. Here she's hanging on to something that belongs to her father. So apparently she doesn't really, deep down inside, want to give it up yet. No, and it's apparent that, yes, she may want to hate her father for what he did to them by leaving them. But because she held on to it, there's still a very deep love for the man in there somewhere. Well, or or just questions. Right. Because girls and fathers have a special bond. Yes, they So do. he deserted his family when both of them were young. So she may not know him enough to love him, but that, that innate bond is still there somewhere. And she has questions and she wants answers to them. So, and I'm sure we're going to get them. Now, it was definitely surprising to uh, learn that Joe is a man of many, many talents. Oh, yes, he is. He had six years of piano lessons and he liked that glass harmonica. And so it was interesting to watch him begin to play it because it is all glass and you have to actually wet your fingers when you put your fingers on it as you make it turn for the sound to emerge. So Joe's actually pretty good at that, isn't he? Yes, he was. And to actually be able to come up with something on his own without any sheet music to try to calm the kindred was impressive, to say the least. That was very impressive on his part. Unfortunately, it was the wrong song. But (laughs) No, it actually was working. And if Zoe and Crane wouldn't have been arguing upstairs, the plan would have worked fine. But because he heard Zoe and Crane talking, he went straight to Zoe. Yeah, because if you stop and think about it in a kind of a sick little way, Abby... And Crane are the kindred's parents. Absolutely. Yes. And so he, if he hears his daddy up there, the voice of his daddy. It's like, boom, zoom, you left me, you deserted me, right? Here's, here we go back to the desertion and the daddy issues. The kindred, yes. has, the kindred has daddy issues, okay? Jenny has daddy issues. The kindred has daddy issues. Jeremy had daddy issues. Jeremy had daddy issues. <laughs> All right, we- so, so that was interesting. But I thought it was also very cool is that Joe showed his problem-solving abilities to our team because he was the one who recognized the insignia on one of Franklin's books and that it matched what they saw, an emblem they saw when they stole that glass harmonica from the museum. And that was what enabled them to find the Kindress because, of course, that triggered a memory in Crane and his first uh, mission with Betsy Ross. And so he was, so they put all the pieces of the puzzle together, which was very nice. Now, The other thing that I thought was great was when we saw Jenny and Joe going to the carriage house to go rescue, at that point in time, both Zoe and Sophie. Yes. And here, just as the kindred was getting ready to kill Sophie, 
Joe and Jenny have these archery type, I guess they were like bow and arrows, arrows that, that pierced him and then had strings attached to the kindred to anchor him in place, at least to give them a temporary escape. But Joe said, and that's off the bucket list. <laughs> well, Joe, somehow I think that most people don't have snagging a monster with <laughs> on a their bucket bow list. <laughs> on their bucket list. No, I don't think so. It's not on mine. Not on mine either. You cats. So do you think that if Joe, so here I'm going to digress back for a minute. Do you think that if Joe keeps pushing Jenny to go talk to her father, that she's going to become annoyed with him? Or do you think she'll listen to him? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think at first she will be annoyed, but when she actually sits down and is honest with herself, she'll realize that it's the right thing to do and actually go do it, I believe. Yeah. You know, and one other nice thing Joe said to Jenny is that she had to live her life for herself. Yes, that was absolutely true. And hopefully Jenny will listen to him. I hope so. Joe's got a lot of common sense. Jenny, he sure does. He's a keeper, Jenny. <laughs> he ain't a hidden one. He's a keeper. So what about Ichabod this week, Steve? Oh, my God. That first scene just ripped your heart out. Oh, didn't it, though? Another fantastic job by Tom Meissen showing the pain in his face as he realizes Abby is struggling with her return and he can't get in to help. No, she's keeping him at arm's length. She shut him right down, didn't she? She did. And that was just, oh, what a scene. (laughs) I thought that was a great scene, too. I really enjoyed that one. Then we find out that, Oh, yeah, he's been uh, so involved in trying to rescue Abby that he completely forgot he was dating Zoe at all. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. And to run into her at the plant shop was probably one of the most awkward scenes that he has been in in quite some time. Yeah, you kind of felt bad for him, but. But when and you was, had to feel bad for her, too. Oh, you felt terrible for her because she is so sweet. We've said this a million times that she ain't got spunk, but she's very sweet. Yes. But for two and a half fortnights, for five weeks, not a word. So if somebody doesn't call you back after y'all had a couple dates after five and a half weeks, you think, uh, yeah, it's not happening. Exactly. And, of course, Crane couldn't tell her exactly why he didn't get a hold of her. No, because then she would think that he was completely a nut, and then she (laughs) definitely wouldn't date him. I'm sorry, I'm busy chasing monsters. My partner is in another realm, universe, and I had to send my astral projection to go find her. What? What? (laughs) Are you crazy? Yeah, that would have probably gotten Crane admitted to Terrytown. (laughs) (laughs) well at least he listened to part of her advice yeah buy something a little more sturdy as far as plants go (laughs) no he bought something as she suggested cacti very low maintenance yes that was a backhanded slap okay oh yes absolutely was (laughs) absolutely was Uh uh-huh and of course it went right over crane's head and he took it 
a completely different direction. <laughs> okay, he doesn't have a clue. He's no. so he's such a gentleman, and he absolutely doesn't have a clue when it comes to women how to read their mind, understand what they're thinking. But he's so wonderful. What a wonderful character. Yes, absolutely. He's allowed his faults. Now, as they're going through Franklin's stuff, trying to come up with the solution, and Abby finds the hidden additional page in his book, the look on Crane's face when Abby starts reading it was priceless. It was, wasn't it? (laughs) How do you know how to read Franklin? (laughs) Since when? Oh, remember that year you were out? uh, I got bored. Yeah, speaking of zings, zing. I know. Zing. It was a a pretty common thing. Crane, crane, get with the program. You got to talk to women. You got to tell them things. We like communication. Talk to us. Don't ignore us. And it's so hard for him to get a grasp on that because it wasn't that way in the 1700s. Oh, heavens no. You wouldn't share feelings. Oh, heavens no. (laughs) No. And women didn't even share their feelings. No, everything was very prim and proper. You kept it to yourself. Yes. So this is almost like being on another planet for poor crane mm-hmm. yes and indeed. he's definitely going to be learning the hard way <laughs> you know you would think that after all this time he would begin to figure that out at the least because he listen he is so smart about learning all the technical things and all the new stuff in the 21st century but he really needs to work on this part a little bit more yes <laughs> yeah yes i think him and Joe need to go away for a weekend of camping and uh, have Joe uh, kind of explain the way of the world now yeah. <laughs> to him. Yeah, Joe's a little more savvy about that. Joe has tried before. Yes. Well, our poor girl is just not quite right, is she, Barb? No, she's not. She is definitely suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Abby can't sleep, and she's literally running away, right? Yes. So when Crane tried to talk to her, she pretended to snore, <laughs> which was funny. Then she changed the subject, and then she said she was going for a run. So, you know, clearly she just didn't want to even have this discussion. I mean, it's like, look, I was, I was in crazy town here for a year, in my mind. No eating, no sleeping, no drinking, no nothing, you know, and she was going mad. And we, you know, we talked about it last week. Of course that's going to happen, right? Yes, but... The the real interesting part of this is last week, she told Crane she had been there for 10 months. Now, are we assuming that from the time she first saw the projection to when she actually got out of there was another two months of, in her time? Yeah, I think so. Or has it... Have we? Has well, she been back a, a couple of weeks and still is having problems? I think it's actually... Remember when we talked about last week's episode? Right, had, yeah, that said, was about another 10 days, wasn't Yeah, it? we had said that there was probably at least another 10 days in her time. So depending on how much longer, you know, Crane was knocked out, how many more hours that he was out um, since he had been severed. Because, of course, Jenny and Joe had left, you know, had left his side all day, and it was late at night by the time they got back. 
And so there probably were another two weeks or so. So it was probably, so she was, might have been out there 10 and a half months, maybe a tiny bit longer than that. And so I think that she has been back for at least a, a short period of time here, but I, I wasn't sure if it only been a couple days. But anyway, you know what? I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. She was there for a long time and she didn't, and she had no sleep. And as we said, that could have been, you know, you take 10 months in her time and you multiply it by, you know, and you add another, what, one third on that because you're, you would generally be sleeping for maybe, maybe a third of that, maybe a quarter of that. So in her mind, that was probably a good, you know, year and a half or thereabouts of waking time where you would go absolutely nuts. Yes. So And so, yeah, that, that was what I was kind of curious about was, yes, if this was the day after she got back, then yeah, I can see her not being able to sleep that first night. But I didn't get that feeling. No. It seemed like it had been longer. Yeah, and I think that at in the beginning of the conversation that they were having, that they had alluded that it had been a couple nights, at least since she had been back. Right. So because I know that Crane said, well, I had been hoping that your time away from the FBI. So, and certainly the time in the catacombs, uh, in my opinion, doesn't count toward that. So I was assuming she'd been back for maybe it'd been one or two weeks easily, especially when she said to Danny, I know I owed you a call. So I really got the impression that it had, there had been some period of time that had passed here. Not too terribly long, but at least some period. Right, which makes more sense seeing Crane's reaction when he wakes up and realizes she hasn't slept again. He has to have experienced some of this now, and which has got him even more concerned about her. Yes. Now what was and go ahead makes it even harder for him trying to get her to open up to him and she still isn't. Right. Now what was interesting is if and I didn't pick this up until my rewatch, because at the end of the episode when we saw her fiddling with her fingers at the side while she was playing chess. So then when I went back and I rewatched, I watched at the beginning while she was playing chess and she was playing with her fingers appearing to draw something on the side as she watched the chessboard. Right. So subconsciously, she's been drawing the symbol, at least for some period of time, and not realizing she was doing it. Yes. What was sweet was when Abby said that Crane was her Wilson. He was a volleyball. Yes. That was so sweet. But of course, then she zapped him when she realized that he'd killed all her house plants, right? Yes. <laughs> and she says, Two words, Crane, miracle grow. <laughs> Another zing at our man Ichabod. Zazing. I thought what was interesting, too, is when she went on her run and she saw Abby and Jenny etched into the tree, you know, the place where they had uh, played before when she went right. down that path. And it definitely pained her, but it also triggered a flashback for her, too. Yes, and I am dying to find out what this is all about. I mean, the flash. What could, yeah, what could be triggering the flashback and what's it tied to? And it may be tied to that symbol that she's subconsciously drawing with her finger. Yeah, I'll bet we'll talk about that in our... Yes, I think we will. In our prof future prophecies. Now, it was interesting, though, what turned that back off, though, was when her cell phone started ringing and Danny said, hey, I want you to come out and help me out here on something. 
And so it's apparent at that point in time that she hasn't contacted him. So this is their first face-to-face meeting, their first dialogue. So what that tells me is that Sophie must have told Danny that Abby was back. But we didn't, both of us predicted that we might have some big brouhaha when they met and that or something would happen and maybe Sophie would be there or Crane would be there and we get these, these great reactions and that didn't happen. <laughs> so, Of course not. <laughs> but that was okay because apparently he thought that after the, the whole incident with Atticus Nevins and what she was doing that upset him so much and almost put his, or actually kind of did put his, his case at jeopardy, that here she'd taken off, she'd left town, they hadn't been in contact. We find out that he never turned in her resignation, which we suspected. Yes. And once she realized, uh, by looking at the crime scene, that this is a big guy, right? And he's using an axe, and he's using a, a sword. And she realizes that it's the kindred. And I think that kind of freaked her out a little bit. And actually, this is one where I wasn't 100% certain, did this freak her out? And she didn't want to get involved because she was still she's still having too much... Um, post-traumatic stress syndrome? Or did she realize that it was the kindred and she couldn't tell Danny about it because he's not monster savvy? And so she realizes it's something that she and Crane have to resolve. And so I wasn't really sure which one of those two situations it might be. Right. And you couldn't tell because you didn't know. But at the same time, she turns around and tells Sophie to meet him in the archives. Yeah, so I, th- and that's what also made me believe that it had been at least some period of time since right. she and Crane had got to. back. Because then they would have told her about Sophie's involvement and that Sophie is somebody you can trust. And Sophie would have um, provided her with that additional cover story. And I'm thinking that Danny would not have known that Abby was quote unquote back in town to call her unless Sophie had said Abby is back in town. Yes. And so, and I can deal with those missing pieces. We can fill in the blanks there pretty easily. Yes. It's not difficult to uh, put that backstory together. <laughs> no. And although there were times when Abby seemed to struggle through the case they had, I think that getting her back to work, getting her into problem solving mode seemed to help her. I agree. It did, did seem to make a difference in her overall well-being and attitude mm-hmm. until the end of the episode <laughs> yes until the end of the until episode the end, yes now and she still wasn't probably as a hundred percent secure as she has been in dealing with some of the monsters recently there was a little bit of hesitation i think and maybe a little bit of fear that we really hadn't seen in her as much as we had in the past agree so, yeah, it it helped, but it sure wasn't the cure-all. Yeah. Again, as we discussed last week, if you were to be stuck for all eternity, no sleep, your brain is always working. To me, that's a fate worse than death. Oh, absolutely. And they've faced death before, and they've managed to escape, but that's more frightening than when she was locked in purgatory, in my opinion. That would just absolutely unnerve me. So she's not ready, and you bet she's going to be kind of on pins and needles for a while. It it would be unusual, abnormal if she wasn't. I agree. Yeah. So then we had Danny showing up and confessing his love to her. (laughs) What? I loved you since the first moment at the Academy. You pushed me to be a better person, yada, yada, yada. 
And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about somebody with some bad timing. Oh, yeah. Danny, 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 your, your timing is just as bad as Crane's. <laughs> yeah, this was not the week for young love, was it? No, not no. at all. Not even close. Yeah, so see, this is the post-Valentine's Day letdown, when you realize that your Valentine really isn't your Valentine anymore. <laughs> Oops. But what surprised me even more was that she looked at him like, what, you love me all that time, really? Okay, yeah, right, I'm ready to go back to work. And I thought, girl, what on earth is going on in your head? Exactly, especially when at first she goes, no. She knows that it's the kindred, and she tells Danny, no, I'm not ready to get back into this. Actually, it's more than that because she'd been through through the case, and I think that she realized that work was good for her. But after he tells her that he loves her, and then she tells him, okay, I'm ready to go back to work. So does he think that she's coming back for him? It would not surprise me a bit if he does. It wouldn't surprise me either, but I thought, there's something missing from this conversation. Let me go back and watch that again. This isn't clicking for me. (laughs) Yeah, Abby definitely should have said, Yes, I'm ready to come back, but here are the boundaries of our working relationship. But you know what? With everything she's been through. Through, she's not thinking that way. Where if this would have happened before the little excursion, she would have definitely laid that out for him. Yeah, I agree. So, yes, we will probably have to deal with some unwanted emotion in the near future as well, I'm afraid. Actually, I would expect her to have a breakdown here at some point, to sit down, cry on it, on Crane's shoulder, do something. I mean, she's there's going to come a breaking point. She's going to have to let this out. Yes. So, But what worried me more was at the very end when, after she cut herself on the beer bottle top, and Crane went out to get her a Band-Aid, and she's drawing, and all of a sudden she realized that she's drawing the symbol in the blood, but she didn't tell him about it. Right. And I thought, oh, this is not good. Not at all. But it clearly scared her. And she, you know, immediately tried to like rub it out with her arm or sleeve there. But it's like, Abby, why aren't you telling Crane about this? Because this is creepy and he could probably immediately look at the symbol and he would know what it means. Yes. And maybe she just doesn't want to know yet. So maybe she's scared because she's afraid something is happening to her. She knows about her from her flashbacks. Maybe she's afraid that there's evil in her. Maybe she still feels too vulnerable. Maybe she thinks that Crane still cares for Zoe and she cares for him and everything is all discombobulated. I don't know. Yes, it is trying times for the Ikebibi shippers, that's for sure. Yeah, but with Zoe effectively gone now. And and I thought the writers handled that in a nice way because I like Zoe. She's a lovely character. She's just not right for Crane. But she was a lovely character. She played a nice role, and I enjoyed what that actress brought to the table. Right. And I think it was the writer's way of making up for Miss Caroline, because we got to meet her a little bit, and they killed her off pretty quickly. And yes, Zoe got taken by the kindred, but she doesn't actually realize what took her and she survived. So I think that was kind of a 
Well, we killed the first one. We won't kill the second one, just so you won't complain. Oh, and I'm so glad because, you know, I made that horrible prediction that she was going to die. And I really didn't want that to happen. And she's not a witch. She's just a very lovely, nice, normal person. No conspiracy. It's done. Okay. Yeah. Uh. All right. Yes, I think there is some parallels with the kindred becoming human and Pandora's own mortality. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, that was a very nice mirror there by Heather showing Kindred's desire to become human and Pandora's just total disdain for being just human. Mm Mm-hmm. But, however, the Kindred was developing feelings and love and caring, which Pandora seems to have some feeling and love, but the hidden one finds those utterly useless. Yes, but after you've been by yourself for 4,000 years, isn't... (laughs) Well, you're right. um, You wouldn't have anything to care for. You're going to care for an inanimate object. Yes. Yeah, you're right. There's something wrong with that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Pandora might be having to be dealing with some feelings that she's some human feelings that she's not had to deal with in a very very long time millennia yes yes. (laughs) well you know that's possible because if if she has been in essence goddess-like right because the, the hidden one made her more than just a mere mortal and all of a sudden if she is becoming maybe envious because he's got the power and she doesn't. And all of a sudden, maybe she's a little bit more human. And you're right, she's having human emotions. Then all these things that the hidden one thinks have no value and no consequence are going to take on a new meaning for her. Absolutely. That's not going to be good for him. Not likely. No. (laughs) No, those are good thoughts. But I think there was also another little hidden message sort of in this episode that You've got to care for the things that you love or that you create or that you take care of, right? Your plants, people. <laughs> now, Crane didn't take care of Abby's plants, but he did look for her, right? Yes. He didn't take care of his relationship with Zoe. Oh, Abby and Crane yeah. didn't take care of their child, the kindred, right? Yes. So. so it's kind of hard to completely blame them because he rode off. Exactly. Who knew? Who right. knew? He looked like an adult. Who, who knew that he was a kindred child becoming a kindred teenager needing kindred love? Yes, yes. So it was really a lot of fun with the way they brought kindred back. Yeah, I thought so too. And you know, do you know where people can read about the kindred, Steve? No, why don't you tell us? Why they can read all about the kindred in this wonderful book called Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. As a matter of fact, there are two lovely pages about the kindred and with beautiful sketches and pictures on page 88. Two lovely pages all about the kindred. That's right. Yeah, guys, you got to get the book. Yes, you do. All right. So what kind of theories and prophecies uh, do we have to throw on the table here for our good listeners this week, Steve? Well, I think everything is going to revolve around the women. I think the men are about to get 
put in the back seat for a while. Like maybe with Abby? Absolutely. We definitely need to figure out if this, I don't know if it's a power or not. I have a feeling it might end up being a power. Yes. And that being in the catacombs, not only with what she did with the shard and being in the catacombs may have brought it to the surface, but I have a feeling some of that has been there all along. Oh, you mean because she's maybe have powers that have been or insight or some witchery herself that have pa- been passed down from Grace Dixon? Yes. Hmm, that's a good thought. I like that idea. Because I was wondering if perhaps she had some shard eye residual power from passing through Treeville and into the catacombs. Or could she have even absorbed some power that some residual power that the hidden one had left behind while he was there? Although I can't imagine him leaving any of his power behind. No, but like you said last week, the shard was red. Uh huh. And once we see it on the ground next to her, it's clear. Yeah, so something went somewhere. Yes. So she may have absorbed that leftover shard power. Well, she's probably going to need some of that power to defeat the hidden one. So I guess that's the question. Will it make her good or will it make her desire power and make her quasi-evil? I think it will probably negatively affect her at first, but she will then very quickly get a handle on it and use it for good. Well, now remember when the shard originally was absorbed into Jenny's hand, she didn't tell anybody, right? So no. here And here Abby is drawing her little symbol and she's not telling anyone. They were keeping their secrets. So maybe it will scare her a little bit and then the secret will come out. I'm thinking she's got to tell Crane pretty soon. She yes. can't wait too long. No, I agree with you there. I don't think she can let this go on too much longer without letting Crane know what is going on. And that may be some of the, the reason for some of the flashbacks that she's having, in addition to the fact that she would probably have them anyway because of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. So, And maybe what will happen is if she starts to get partially, I don't want to use the word evil, but may have this power that's you know maybe even trying to pull her to the hidden one, potentially. Just like it did with Jenny. Exactly. Maybe Crane then will become the tether for her to the side of good the way that she was the tether for him to bring him back last week. So now I wonder if will the hidden one try to summon Abby? I'm not sure he will try to summon her as more than likely it's a kind of a residual effect of him getting stronger that he'll boost the ghost beacon and that will probably be the thing that Jenny just got up and left. All of a sudden was in Pandora's lair. I can see that happening to Abby, but when she gets there, she goes, oh, no. (laughs) She's strong enough to actually overcome that desire to follow the hidden one. Or maybe it's like Harry Potter and Voldemort, where, spoiler alert, I mean, the books have been out for how many years, where there was a, a little piece of Voldemort in Harry Potter, but he didn't know it until almost at the end, right? And so maybe that's, and maybe Jenny has this little piece of the hidden one in her and she won't know it until it comes down to big confrontation near the end. So, and oh, Pandora, 
So there's got to be a smackdown of the hidden one coming is what I got to think, right? Absolutely. She is not digging this. I have no power. And she is so smart when she really puts her mind to things. Not always in a good way. I think she will actually try to pull something on the hidden one to get some of her power back. Yeah, but if and she does it, that, he'll kill her. It might happen. Huh. See, I, I think that she's going to be fundamental at the end in helping bring him down. But she still has to be dealt with because she's been a very bad girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think that she's going to be around for a while. So I'm not, I'm not so sure she's going to challenge him yet. Openly, yeah, I, I don't know how soon it'll be, but it's coming. How long do you think it's going to take all these monsters to get to Sleepy Hollow that have been summoned? Well, it's not like they can just jump on a plane and uh, fly <laughs> there or, or uh, jump on a bus. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of a while for the ones that are any distance away to get there. That's for sure. Well, somebody's got to show up because otherwise the hidden one is just going to be, continue to become more impatient and churlish. Right. And it is a little surprising that, yes, he was able to take Pandora's power and it quenched his hunger and did make him more powerful, but it also seemed to have changed his attitude to I'm greater than thou Mm -hmm. more than it was. And so I don't think that much of a boost in his power should have done that. No, as he sits there in place with the lid of, of the box that he gave her, right? That he's basically now he's taken away her toy. Exactly. And it's like, really? A kid in one, you just don't have a clue. And do we think that Jenny is actually going to go see daddy? I think we know something is going to happen because let's face it, we saw him. You don't see him one time at the door while you steal his lighter, and then that's it. So something is going to happen. Yes. And could it be something that happens to Abby that causes Jenny to go to her father to try to fix? Oh, that's a good thought. That would be interesting. Then it would have to be something bad because... Jenny would have to be rather desperate, I would think, to do that. Either that yes. or she's finally going to take Joe's advice. Something is going to happen that's going to propel her into taking Joe's advice. Yes, and I have a feeling it's going to have something to do with Abby. That makes a lot of sense. And she won't like it, but she will do it for her sister. Agree. Okay. All right, any more uh, predictions or theories there? No, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens next, because now I think that what we're anticipating is the monster mash, right? Yes. So that's got to come. <laughs> it's it's got to come. I think that we're anticipating that. But Abby is going to have to work some things out before she will be fully ready to deal with the monsters again. I think that we have a little bit more that she needs to overcome before we get to that point. So I think that we're going to have a lot of good character scenes coming up probably in the next couple of episodes as they prepare for the the fight. No doubt about that. And that's what is making this series stronger and stronger with each passing episode is they are definitely delving into the characters that are important and that people care about and not ones that are (laughs) wishy-washy. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, Crane was back in form. He wasn't. He wasn't wandering around in the astral. You know, whatever this this week. So he had a lot of good lines, didn't he? He had a few, uh, besides the zingers that were directed his way. Yowzer. Yeah. Of course, his first line to Abby was, no luck in the land of Nod. (laughs) (laughs) And all other responsibilities fell to the wayside. Horticulture, not excluded. Yeah. As he's trying to uh, justify what he did to poor Abby's plants. (laughs) Yes. And of course... During his renewal of his relationship with Zoe, under his breath, he goes, no, and I try not to be, but they always seem to find a way into my path. He didn't understand ghosting at all, did he? No, he did not. And he took it literally as a ghost. I know. And and then she's like, I don't know what you're saying. What are you talking about? That was amusing because I'm like, where? And then I, oh, okay, I know where he's going with that. But no, Crane, that, that isn't even close to what that means. You know, no. <laughs> if you're ghosting, it means you've just blown someone off and you've oh. cut off all social communication with them. Telephone, yes. oh, old-fashioned telephone, your cell phone, texting, Facebooking, anything else. Silly. Exactly. You've disappeared. Yes. And of course, when did you learn to read Franklin? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> The line was good, but the reaction was better. And then, of course, he has to go on a rant when Franklin's name is brought up. Of course he does. One of Franklin's more obnoxious hobbies was rewriting the lyrics of beloved songs to show how they've hindered the melody. To illustrate his point, he composed a variation of the Charles Wesley hymn, Come Thou Almighty King, Come Thou Almighty Kin. As in kindred. Yeah. <laughs> that, I just, I'm like, come now, Almighty King, which I know. And I'm like, come now, Almighty Kin. And I'm thinking kindred. And they said, kin, and I'm like, <laughs> he was so snarky. And did yes. you look, did you see the look on his face when he said yes. that? He was. It was like very snarky. And I'm like, oh, yes. No it's love, the- still, still no love lost. He's helped. He helped you create the kindred. He's going to help you find a mate for the kindred. And you're still going to snark all over him. <laughs> Exactly. I know, like, really? Come on. But you have to admit the most, I think the biggest zinger of the night was Zoe's line. Absolutely. That's what happened when you ignore things. She wasn't snarky, but it was a zing. And I thought, yowzer. (laughs) Yeah, anybody but Crane probably would have been uh, shaking their hand or something, you know, going, ow, ow, ow. (laughs) (laughs) Burned. Indeed. All right, what kind of great history lesson do you have for us, Barb? Well, tonight, we're going to talk about Benjamin Franklin and the glass harmonica. Because during this episode, we learned that Benjamin Franklin invented the glass harmonica, which, by the way, that's harmonica, not harmonica. There's no H on it. So we all know that music can soothe the wild beast. So I'm not sure who or what Franklin was trying to soothe at the time, but this is what he invented. So Benjamin Franklin was very interested in music, and he was actually an amateur musician. In 1761, he attended a concert in London and watched as a colleague of his performed on a set of water-tuned wine glasses. He was so impressed that he was determined to build his own instrument. He had a glassmaker create 37 different hemispheres of glass 
and through those he ran an iron rod, and he nested them together from the smallest to the largest. Now he put these on a spinning wheel type of apparatus. He moistened his fingers, and he held his fingers against the rim of the glass as they turned, because he put a pedal in and he made them turn, and this produced sound. So his new invention premiered in early 1762. So it only took him a couple months to do this. Very creative genius. And when he created this, he had it played by Marianne Davies, who was a well-known London musician, and she had learned to play his creation. Now, he initially named this the Glassy Chord, but then he changed the name to Armonica after the Italian word for harmony. He built Miss Davies her very own instrument, and he returned to Philadelphia with his. The glass harmonica was very popular, and thousands of these were built and sold during that time. Both Mozart and Beethoven wrote musical pieces specifically for this instrument. Now, back in those days, there was no amplification for the instrument. I mean, nobody had great big uh, speakers or anything else, right? And a lot of the musical concerts were only held in small settings and music halls. So as larger venues were built and used for concerts, it became impossible to hear the harmonica sounds. So this instrument lost popularity in the early 19th century. And that was sort of the end of it. But I want to say thank you to the Glass Armonica website and to PBS for the information about this Glass Armonica. And I'm going to include links to both sites in the blog. So if you want to read a little bit more about it, you can. And I'm also going to include a link to YouTube where you can hear the lovely sound of this Glass Armonica and you can watch how it is actually played. And the composer and musician, William Zeitler, is in the video, and he is performing Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy on the glass harmonica. And when you see this, you will be surprised because in the video, he's dressed like Benjamin Franklin, and he even (laughs) has those glasses on. I kid you not. Okay? (laughs) Seriously. But it sounds, it's lovely. It is an absolutely lovely sound. It had to be if... Mozart and Beethoven actually wrote pieces for the instrument. And no kidding. That was the whole thing that just, I went, you read that and went, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's amazing. It is, it's a, it is absolutely incredible. And it does look like the one that Jenny and Joe stole. Oh, oh my. I hope they give it back so that people can play it. Yes. But I, I will say, I have studied music and... I'm familiar with a number of different instruments, and I enjoy going to concerts. And I had never heard of the glass harmonica until this episode. So I learned something new. On yes, Sleepy I Hollow. did too. So, Steve, did we get any feedback this week? Well, we sure did. I am concerned about our bestie, oh, Justina. No. What happened? It seems that she's been spirited away. <gasps> oh, dear. Now, she was able to get a message to us. Okay. Hi, Barb and Steve. I hope you get this. Katrina taught me to enchant this bird and send you this message before she went bad last year. Wow. I was in the archives last night reading about the kindred. I heard a rumor that he's been spotted. Then the hidden one kidnapped me and threw me in the tree of evil. Trevil. Hence the bird message. No Wi-Fi here. Don't worry, I will figure this out. But my prophecies will be delayed until I can return to your plane of existence. Your bestie, Justina. Oh, no. I wonder if we can get that incantation spell from Jenny and we can send an astral projection after her to rescue her. We got to 
Do something, Barb. We do. At least she saw last week's episode, so she knows about Betsy Ross's cutlass, and she knows to climb down the well. Yes. Okay, good. There's hope for her. We'll we'll keep an eye out for her, won't we? Yes, we will. Okay. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season so far, so please send us your feedback and theories. And we want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interactions. How can people get a hold of us, Barb? Well, there are a couple different ways they can do that, Steve. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com feedback where you can use the SpeakPipe widget on the side of the page to either record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can even attach an audio feedback that you could record on your very own iPhone or Android or other mobile device and send it on in to us. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturdays at 4 p.m. Eastern time. We know that's very tight turnaround. Obviously, it's less than 24 hours, but we want to go ahead and get things recorded so we can get the episodes out to you, get the podcast out to you more quickly. You can also follow us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook, and you can find us on Twitter at WitnessProfGSM, at SalyerSteve, or at Tangier14. Now we've come to the time of the podcast where we've gotten to our visions of the future section, and you know what that means. Ron, Ron as if you have just been spotted on Lover's Lane and the kindred is in your rearview mirror. <laughs> Run. As we discuss future episodes, like episode number 12, which is going to be shown on February 26th, entitled Sins of the Father. When Jenny makes the decision to confront her father, family turmoil from the past rises to the surface. Meanwhile, Atticus Nevins returns to town, bringing more danger than the FBI could have imagined in the all-new Sins of the Father episode of Sleepy Hollow. Well. That confrontation's going to happen next week. I guess Jetty is going to listen to Joe after all. Sure looks that way. And Atticus Nevins, boy, I'll tell you what, I, again, puddle of blood to back to whatever kind of form he's going to be and bring it on because I'm... That's right. Yeah. That, wouldn't it be interesting if it's Atticus Nevins that actually opens the floodgates to the monsters coming into Sleepy Hollow? Wow, that would be interesting. Yes, it would. Because he is an artifact collector. We know he's not been necessarily working on the side of good. Well, he was working for Pandora, so he... Yeah. But he's but his artifact... Well, okay, so we know who one of the guest stars in here, right? Is, right? It's Randall. Right. So we know that Randall has, took some of those artifacts. So yes, maybe Atticus and Randall are going to have a little come-to meeting. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Well, Atticus, if you weren't dead before, you could be on your way to it again. Or Randall, for that matter. (laughs) Or Randall, yeah, third time's charm, Randall. You're going to think those, uh, you're going to think that getting locked up in handcuffs and and cocked by a gun uh, were actually a good thing. Yes. Well, the week after that, episode 13 which is going to air on March the 4th, is Dark Mirror. The New Jersey Devil targets the town on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. As a monster resembling the famed New Jersey Devil ravages Sleepy Hollow, Crane must draw on his past, yes, history, to find the connection, 
Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe stumble as they navigate their new relationship, and Abby continues to struggle with the aftermath of her trauma. Yes, this will be a very interesting episode because of the fact that the New Jersey Devil is definitely somebody from Crane's past who also was a Franklin hater. I know, (laughs) and and so Crane may have to turn around and actually side with Benjamin Franklin, which would be terribly amusing since he hasn't really done that. And he was so snarky this episode. Yes. And even though it was Franklin who provided all the answers for them. <laughs> so yes, the Jersey Devil will probably be one that hopefully Crane will actually maybe back off the snark of <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. Well, and, and that'll be terribly amusing. If nothing else, that's going to be very funny. Yes. But at which will balance, I think, the very sadness we're going to have while Abby is struggling with the aftermath of her trauma, which means that symbol is probably going to be impacting her in some way, is now the way that I read this, which is different from the way that I would have read it a week ago before I saw her drawing a symbol in blood on the table. Exactly. So it may not necessarily be post-traumatic stress syndrome at that time, although it certainly could be, but I'm going to guess we're going to have a little bit more of magic in here somewhere. Yeah, I think so. Yep. And on March 11th, episode 14, Into the Wild, Abby and Sophie put their survival skills to the test on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. On an FBI team-building day, oh really? Abby and Sophie come face-to-face with a monster that may finally blow their cover with Reynolds. Oops. Oops. Meanwhile, Jenny and Joe find themselves in possession of something precious, and Crane discovers that the symbol from the catacombs may be more important than he realized. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, Lord. So this actually is very interesting because they think that they're going to have a monster that will blow their cover with Reynolds, but we still don't know what Reynolds was doing with that guy. Exactly, in Washington. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. And so we think there may be more to this than really meets the eye. He may know more than they have given him credit for. It is very possible. And will he be good or will he be bad? And then I wonder what We may be finding out soon. Yep, and then Jenny and Joe in possession of something precious. Maybe they're going to get their hands on an artifact that Atticus and Randall accidentally parted ways with. But yes. Crane, so that means Crane is going to find find out about the symbol. And I wonder if Abby's going to draw it somewhere. And while she's on team building day, if he discovers it and thinks, uh-oh. Or else she's going to tell him before that. And then he's going to figure out this is that something is very bad. Right. Yeah. Yes, while she's out with doing team building, Crane's in the archives digging up everything he can on this symbol and discovers that, it may not be all good. He's going to have a holy sugar moment. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. And we don't have anything else after that. We don't know. That's right. That's all we've gotten so far. I will be surprised. Yes. But a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. The next four episodes should keep us on the edge of our seats. I think so as well, Steve. All right, please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are several other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, 
go to goldenspiralmedia.com backslash iTunes. Tell your friends and hope you're enjoying our podcast. Also, if you're going to swing by and pick up the book, book, make sure you use our Amazon links. It doesn't cost you any extra and it helps support the podcast network. Well, I think it was another great week, Steve. Yes, it was. And I totally enjoyed this discussion of it. Me too. And thanks to all the folks who are out there listening to this. We hope you enjoy it as well. And again, we'd love to get your feedback. Love to hear what you think. Love to hear what you think about all the prophecies and things that are going on in Sleepy Hollow. And this is Steve, hoping that you don't get stuck sitting on a cactus. Ouch! And this is Barb signing out, and I need to go care for my house plants. See you next week, sleepyheads. (laughs) 